the RPO Podcast, brought to you by absolutely no one, because I'm a college student making a podcast in my room. All right, folks, we're one day away, one day away, 2020 NFL Draft right around the corner, April 22nd, let's just go ahead and run right into this one, folks. All right, so last time we left off, we just got into pick 17, now we're going to lead off with pick 18, I don't want to have any time messing around here, so we're going to jump right into it with the 18th overall pick. Miami Dolphins back up this time. I think for them, they have to address the offensive tackle position after taking Tago Valala in the first round. So for them, I have them going Josh Jones, the offensive tackle. Look, I think this first round, after you kind of get past this pick, really falls off in terms of offensive tackle talent. I think there's one more tackle you take in the draft. But I think when you look at Josh Jones, you find a lot of things that you like. He has great feet. I really like his ability with his hands, and he moves well for a guy who's so large. I think really, too, if you're the Dolphins, you have to go tackle here just purely because you took your franchise quarterback in that first round as well. And with the second overall pick, you just simply have to protect him. In my mind, there's really no choice or option really around it. When I look at Josh Jones, though, as like as I said, with these previous prospects, there's always going to be things that kind of come up. Um, Jones didn't score great on his Wonderlick test. For me, that's just always a little bit of a concern, mainly because usually when you want offensive linemen, you want the ones that are very intelligent, that are very cerebral, and are able to read schemes that are coming at them, almost in a way serve as a second quarterback and man down that offensive line more than anything else. I was tempted to go with the running back position here by addressing the need with DeAndre Swift, who I think is the best running back in the class. But overall, I think when I look at the Dolphins, you have to go with that offensive tackle position. Like I stated, Jones is an athletic guy. I really like his hands. I like his feet. I don't think he leans too much on his toes, so I think he'll do great in that respect. Overall, when I look at Jones, I think he's a perfect fit for Miami. I have him going at number 18. Now moving to 19 with the Las Vegas Raiders, this is their second pick of the first round. If we remember from the first time at 12th overall, they're taking CeeDee Lamb, so they won't need to address that wide receiver position again in the first round. So for them, I have taking Xavier McKinney, the safety out of, <clears throat> sorry, I forget where he's out of, but Xavier McKinney, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank of where he's from. But McKinney right now, um, I have him off the board here at 19 because I think the Raiders need a playmaker in the secondary. I think when I look at McKinney, he's a lot of what I like. He plays a good center field, he'll make plays, and he's a good hitter and coming up into the box. I think a lot of times when you look for a safety in the modern day NFL, you need the kind of guy who can do both. When I look at McKinney, like I said, he's someone who I think can come up and play in the box and almost serve as that extra linebacker that you want but he has the ball playing ability and the ball skills to drop back into the secondary and kind of roam that center field. A couple things I want to see though from McKinney though at the next level is him just kind of trusting his eyes more from a lot from what I've seen on tape. He's a good player, but at times there's he leaves interceptions out on the field. There's too many times where I watch him and I sit there and think, okay, well, he could have had an interception if he had read that on cover three quicker and just backpedal a little bit faster. If he can learn to trust his eyes a little bit more, McKinney will be a guy who will learn the game faster, he'll create more turnovers, and he'll be just that much more valuable to that defense with the Raiders. As well, I just think overall, if you pair him um, with, I believe, last year or two years ago... Um, no, they cut. I take it back. The Raiders took, uh, cut Obenai, that guy from UConn that they took two years ago. So this is even more of a need 
for the reason for the Raiders to take a safety here in the first round. I think it makes a lot of sense. You sure up that defense for all those reasons. I think you absolutely have to sit there and say, okay, if you're the Oakland Raiders, your second first round pick has to be addressing that secondary need. They got gashed a lot last year. I think overall, when you look at it, it makes a lot of sense. So for the 19th overall pick, I have the Oakland Raiders taking Xavier McKinney in their with their first pick again in the second uh, their second pick in the first round. I should say Jesus all over the place, folks. All right, just one quick here. I'm looking one more thing up. So now when we move on here to the <coughs> excuse me, move on here to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now for the Jaguars, I have them taking. Another, this is the last offensive tackle that I have here coming off in the first round. And that would be my guy out of USC. We have Austin Jackson. Now, I want to preface it by saying I could see the Jaguars going somewhere else. I could see them addressing the edge value because I think, again, though they took one in the first round with I have them taking. Um, I apologize. Why am I forgetting who I had them taking? I had them taking JB on Kinlaw, the DN from South Carolina. I think overall, when you look at the Jaguars, I don't think they're a team who's ready to compete now, and they're not in the premium pick position where they can take a quarterback in the first round. There's just not one there that I deem worth taking. You could suppose they could take Jordan Love, but I think if the Jaguars decided to take a guy like Love and throw him in the first round, it would overall just be a mistake. It wouldn't make much sense. So for me, I think you take a guy like Jackson, you help him get a year, you solidify that offensive line. I think overall, when I look at him... A lot of the offensive line, what I really want to see and what Jackson really does well is he has good hands. He has a physicality up front, but to me, I really like him in the pass game. He's someone I really think you could stick on that left or right tackle, either position. He's more predominantly left tackle. I really think you could see him dominate out there. And for me, I think if you can let him adapt for those first two years and then Jacksonville, they can stick with Minshew if they want. I'm a fan of Minshew. Again, though, I think he's a guy who has a high floor, low ceiling, meaning you have, he's kind of, he's... I don't know. He's like beef jerky. He's good for what he is now, but really, ultimately, overall, I don't think you can get much more out of him. So the cap for the Jaguars with Minshew is somewhat limited. So I think you bring in a guy like Jackson. You let him. You really let him learn the system there, that left tackle, and he's he becomes your premier left tackle. So when you bring in a guy maybe next year like um, Lawrence from Clemson, or you bring in a guy like Justin Fields from Georgia, you already know you have someone there to protect that franchise quarterback. For me, when I look at Jackson, I watch the tape. I like what he brings. I think at times when I watch him, he plays a little bit too much on his heels. He might struggle a little bit with that bull rush when guys get below the pad level. That's something you need to watch out for if you're a Jaguars fan. But overall, I think Jackson is too intriguing of a prospect not to go with there in the first round. So I have the Jaguars taking him at number 20. Now, to the number 21 overall pick, we have the Philadelphia Eagles. This pick, and I cannot stress this enough, this is the simple pick, the most simple pick in the draft in my mind. The Philadelphia Eagles, Philadelphia Eagles absolutely have to address the wide receiver position. Now, a lot of the big playmakers have gone off the board, but here's a luxury if you're the Eagles. This might be the most loaded wide receiver class or has been probably in the last seven to eight years. Too many talented guys on this board for the Eagles not to find someone with the best value. And to me, if I'm the Eagles, I'm taking Justin Jefferson, the wide receiver, out of LSU. Look, Jefferson tore it up all year at LSU with Joe Burrow throwing the ball. He really came on those last five or six games. Him playing in the college football playoff added to his draft stock immensely. He lit up Oklahoma's defense. He had four touchdowns against him, and he performed unbelievably well against Clemson. And he seemed to carry that momentum all the way through the combine and workouts that he had individually. 
when I watch Jefferson, I love him as a route runner. I think his route running ability is second to none in this class. He's probably the second or third best route runner. And some people might say, okay, well, is that really that great? Well, when you have guys like CeeDee Lamb ahead of you, yes, that's a very good mark for you to be at that second or third spot. Jefferson does a really good job of just finding ways to get open. He's not the biggest or most athletic receiver in the class, but he does a phenomenal job of just finding that way to get those extra few steps on a guy to become open. And he could be, to me, he's like one of those guys that becomes your quarterback's best friend. He looks a lot in some ways like Anquan Bolden. He just finds ways to get open. He's not going to blow you away with speed. He's not going to go jump over a freaking house for you like Julio Jones. But he knows how to get open. And really, if you're the Eagles, this is the best guy on the board you can take. You can't miss Jefferson. If you go out there and take someone like a guy like Mims, or if you take a guy um, like Ragnar from TCU, you're making a mistake. Take Jefferson. Yes, he has his liabilities. He's not the fastest. He's not a burner. He runs a solid 4-5. He's not going to run by the defensive backs. He won't always take a top off of the defense, but he excels in the red zone. He's a great hands catcher, and he's a phenomenal threat when it comes to running routes. Running routes in the NFL for wide receivers, in my opinion, is the most underrated ability that you can have. If you can run every route in the drought tree, you're a phenomenal asset. That means you know, you're going to know how to get open. Routes make guys get open. And if you can run a good route like Jefferson, you're unbelievably valuable. So if I am the Philadelphia Eagles, there's no doubt in my mind with the 21st overall pick, you're going to go ahead and take your guy, Justin Jefferson. I think he's a great selection there. Absolutely going to love him. I think the Eagles would have a home run. If they take anyone else really in my mind, I think they're making a huge mistake. So Eagles fans, I love Carson once. I really kind of like the Eagles a lot. I'm a big Zach Ertz guy. So look, if you want to continue to grow that offense with Deshaun Jackson coming back and you want to give Carson once more tools to play with, go out and get Justin Jefferson. It's the simplest pick you guys can make. You can't mess it up. Please don't mess it up. All right, now going to 22nd overall pick, we have the Minnesota Vikings, another team that could address the wide receiver need, but I don't see them doing that. With the 22nd pick, I have them taking Jeff Gadney. Look, I like Gadney out of TCU. I think he's a good player overall. I think there's a lot of things to like, but there's also definitely some red flags. I think starting off when I look at Gadney, the thing that I really like is um, he's good at breaking at passes. He had 15 pass breakups along with three interceptions his last year at TCU. Um, Not only is he good at playing the ball, but I definitely think he excels using his strength and route release. He has a good job of keeping those receivers tight. Um, he does a really good job at recognizing routes, too. I think when you turn the tam- tape on with him, you see how well he really recognizes routes. Um, and that's something that's incredibly valuable. I think it's something that really gets overlooked with corners. Play recognition is unbelievably difficult to teach in the NFL. Guys need to know that at the college level coming out. You constantly see it where people take these guys who are maybe just more nose of the football and rely on jumping routes. Those guys, they last for a couple years like Marcus Peters, but then you see they just get absolutely flamed because at the end of the day, you can rely so much on your ball hawking ability, but technique is what's going to get you games playing in the defensive backfield. You need guys who are high IQ players. I think that's what Gadney is. Um, and I think he does also um, a really good. Th- he's a good tackler too. When you watch him, you turn on the tape. He's a pretty good tackler in the run game. A lot of he's a little bit. He's a good size, so I think it doesn't surprise me that he's such a good tackler. But really, when you watch runs come his way, he seems to do a pretty good job with either chopping guys down at the legs or just popping them like he should be. Um, Some red flags that I have with him. um, You know, he's inconsistent when facing guarding downfield. I think when guys seem to run deep post routes against him, 
not his greatest strength. He has a little bit difficulty defending the flyer out. Um, overall, too, again, if you put a big body on this guy, again, he's not the biggest dude. He's a decent-sized corner, but he's not like the sexy 6'1 corner that you see in the NFL. He's definitely more of the 5'11", 6-foot range, which isn't terrible. But look, if you're going to put up a guy against Julio Jones or these bigger number one receivers who you're going to probably see him get put up against, assuming he's going to be your number one corner in the near future, he's going to struggle with that. So that means he'll probably struggle a little bit in the red zone. Um, and he's a little bit slender of a build. This, a lot of my qualms with him is he's got a slender build. He needs to fill out, certainly. But overall, when I look at him as a prospect, I like Gadney at number 22. Some people have him a little bit lower on board, but I actually like him overall. And so, yeah, with that, I have the Minnesota Vikings taking Jeff Gadney 22nd overall. Moving right along to the 23rd pick, we have the New England Patriots. Now, look, again, if we were doing a scenario where I could go ahead and make trades, I would almost bet anything that New England is going to trade out of this pick. Now, I know there's people out here that are saying, oh, they could take Jordan Love. Oh, wouldn't that be so great? An athletic freak in the Patriots scheme. No, Bill Belichick's not going to do that. That's I, I'm convinced Bill Belichick wants you to stay here and sit here and say, "Look, I'm putting it out on the table. I'm starting that punk Jared Stidham from Auburn, who we took in the fourth round two years ago, and I'm going to rip off ten wins." And I think he's purely doing that because he's an egotistical maniac, and he freaking wants to show everyone he can win with whatever he's got. So if I'm the New England, if I think I'm right, I think the New England Patriots normally would trade out of this pick, but with me not doing trades, 23rd overall. I am taking Uter Gross Matos, the defensive end from Penn State. Look, first off, I think when you look at Matos on film, he's a huge body. He eats double teams. I love guys that eat double teams. That means you're opening up other opportunities for you guys on the lines. And to me, that's one of the bigger underrated values that defensive ends can have. But overall, I love his bull rush. He's an athletic freak, and he's got really strong freaking hands. He was a big-time wrestler at his time, uh, in high school as well. So the kid's just got a lot of strength. Now, when it comes to some of his weaknesses, I think he could do a little bit better in play recognition. He's a little bit like Chase Young in that he relies so much on his physical dominance that sometimes there's some things that fall through the cracks a little bit. And for him, I look at him and say, okay, well, he doesn't recognize run game really well, and he struggles a little bit when he doesn't get below the pad level. Those are two things you can certainly work on, but it's also a little bit cause of concern. But overall, when I look at Gross Matos... He makes a lot of sense just overall to fit the Patriot way. He's a, he just, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, it's dumb to me. He's always a blue collar player, but that's what he is. He's a blue chip prospect coming from a premier program. He's a guy who can plug and play right away for the New England Patriots. So for 23, again, I would normally, if I was doing trades, I'd have them trade out of this pick. If, I mean, knowing Belichick, he'd probably do something ridiculous like trade in the second round and just have multiple, probably 13 picks or something like that total in the draft. But overall, 23rd, I have them taking Uter Gross Moss from Penn State. Now moving to 24, we have the New Orleans Saints. Some people in mocks that I've seen, this is another team that people conceivably could see Jordan Love going to. For me personally, I wouldn't take Jordan Love in the first round. I don't like him that much as a prospect. He's He was bad against a, a, a minuscule conference. He was bad, bad in the Mountain West. If you're not playing well in the Mountain West, to me, you're not really in that scheme in the first round thought process, at least in my mind, if I was a general manager. For me, if I'm the New Orleans Saints, you have to address that linebacker issue. I think they have a good one to DeMarco Davis. He's a good part of the defense, but they need someone else to go with them. So to me, I think you take possibly the most athletic linebacker in the class outside of Isaiah Simmons, and you go with Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma. Look, 
when you watch Kenneth Murray, the thing that sticks out to me immediately is this dude flies around like a freaking heat-seeking missile. This is a guy who will go out there and punish wide receivers who come over the middle, and he trusts his eyes a lot on rush plays. There are very few times when you turn on that film where you don't recognize freaking my guy out there, Kenneth Murray. You, there's very few times you don't recognize Kenneth Murray. His athleticism and pure speed jump out so quick. This is the kind of guy that you salivate over. Some people have said, oh, well, you know, he relies too much on instincts, and sometimes he doesn't handle double teams well. He has problems shedding, uh, shedding blocks. And, yeah, that's true. His block shedding at times could be better. But, look, overall, when I look at Murray, he's your prototypical NFL linebacker. He's good in pass coverage. He's an athletic freak, and he's a guy who you can coach. And altogether, I think it makes a perfect sense that you can put him in a team in New Orleans. He can learn from a guy like Demario Davis, and I think overall he makes a lot of sense in New Orleans. And because, I mean, New Orleans brought Drew Brees back. You, the, New Orleans is going to put up points. What you need to do is stop teams from scoring points, and I think Murray is an immediate solution to that. So for me, it makes the most sense to slot him with the number 24 overall pick, Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma. Now, moving on to 25, we again go to the Minnesota Vikings. We just had them dra- uh, draft a cornerback just there at 22. So I think when we look at number 25, you have to address the wide receiver position. Look, they traded Stephon Diggs. I get it. He didn't want to be there anymore. That's fine. I really didn't understand his whole dispute with the franchise itself. I'm assuming probably looking more into it, it was over money because the team was winning. I mean, I guess he wasn't happy that they had gone to an NFC championship and then an NFC divisional game in his tenure there. I don't really understand his whole issue with the franchise. I guess in some way he felt he was being disrespected because he wasn't giving the money, but that's here or there. He's in Buffalo now. So for me, if I have the Minnesota Vikings, I think it makes a lot of sense to go with possibly one of the more physically gifted wide receivers in this draft, Denzel Mims from oh, uh, Baylor, excuse me, at the number 25 overall pick. Look, when I look at Mims, some of the things that I see, first off, obviously his athleticism just jumps off the tape to you. He has really great hands, and when you turn on the film again, the, the amount of spectacular catches this guy makes is remarkable. I mean... He goes up, he does a great job of high-pointing the ball, and he kind of has that special... I I compare him a little bit to Chad Johnson or Chad Ochocinco, whatever you want to call him. He has that special ability of just to hang in the air for an extra half second just to keep keep in the air to get that ball for your quarterback. And look... If you're the Vikings, you need to give Kirk Cousins more toys to play with because Kirk Cousins has a liability to an extent. I like Kirk, but at the end of the day, he's a little bit like Andy Dalton. They can win with the players they have around him. And if you're the Vikings, you can't just trot Adam Thielen out there and hopefully, oh, maybe we'll find another guy in the third or fourth round that can go out there and play with Thielen. No, it's not going to work. If you're the Minnesota Vikings, you got to invest your premium picks and premium players. I think when you look at Mims, you got to assume the risk with the reward. Yes, he's raw. Yes, there's some parts of his game, like his route running, that certainly needs work. But when you look at the playmaking ability, his ability to high point the ball, and his overall athleticism, Mims makes too much sense to me not to take him at 25. He can be a number one receiver for you. He'll take the double teams that away from Adam Thielen. I think teams overall will be forced to play one-on-one. Ultimately, if you're Minnesota, you're hoping this isn't another Laquan Treadwell situation like they had three years ago out of Ole Miss, which is one of the least talked about recent wide receiver flops. But to me, Mims out of Baylor going to 25 makes a lot of sense. And that's who I'd have him taking. Now, 
to the number 26 overall pick, we have the Miami Dolphins taking their third and final selection of the first round. Now, to me, as we've stated, they got Tua in the second overall pick. To, uh, I'm sorry, not the second overall pick, but in their first, with their initial pick in the first round. Later, when we had them, where was it? When they were the with their 18th overall pick, we had them addressing the tackle position. All right. So if you look at it, they got the quarterback for the future and they have their left tackle or right tackle for the future. So now what do you do? Okay, you could add to your defense, help them improve, but they spent a lot of money adding players like Byron Jones in the secondary this offseason. So I think what you do if you're the Miami Dolphins is you give Tua a little bit more to play with. And I'm not talking wide receiver because I like kind of what they have there in Jakeem Grant and Devontae Parker. So I go ahead and give him a running back. I have them taking the best back in the draft, and that's DeAndre Swift at number 26. Look, if you could have told the Dolphins at the beginning of the season, or the beginning of this draft period, they could get Tua, a premier offensive lineman, and still have Devontae Parker on the outside, and then you can add DeAndre Swift, that is a lot to add to your team in terms of value. I think Swift at 26 makes a lot of sense. I think he's got great burst. He trusts his eyes. He's a good pass catcher out of the backfield, which I think every team in the NFL needs these days. I think that cannot be overstated enough. If you look at the NFL and the way that's changing, for you to get a second contract as a running back, you need to be able to catch the ball because these guys are getting a lot more touches than they were 10 years ago, and Swift fits that profile. Also, what I really like about Swift is that for a guy who's a little bit smaller, he's not as big. He's kind of a lot like Sony Michelle, who New England took two years ago out of the same backfield as a Georgia Bulldog. But when I look at Swift, I think he plays bigger than what his size shows. He He's not afraid of contact. I absolutely love that. And to, the only concerns I really have with Swift, I mean, he's not a complete prospect. I think there's certainly things he can work on. His inside runs need a little bit of work. I think at times he gets a little bit too nervous about getting hit, and he tries to bounce it outside. But overall, when you're the Miami Dolphins and you're sitting there with the best running back available on the board and you already have a great quarterback prospect and a great offensive tackle prospect, you give your quarterback a little bit more of a weaponry and you give him someone he can hand the ball off to maybe 15, 20 times a game and alleviate some of the stress that's going to be falling on his young shoulders. So that's why to me at 26, DeAndre Swift makes the most sense that you can have in this draft. That's why I have them taking with their third third pick in the first round for the Miami Dolphins, DeAndre Swift, the running back out of Georgia. Now moving to 27 right along, the Seattle Seahawks. Now, if Davion Clowney signs with them, then I probably look like a fool for making this pick, but considering the draft is in less than 24 hours, I don't really assume that they're going to be able to re-sign Jadeveon Clowney. So for that reason, Seattle needs to address the edge-rushing position. So for that, I have them taking A.J. Espana, the defensive end from Iowa. When you turn on the tape, this guy could be a player who gets taken a little bit higher if it wasn't for maybe as a little bit physical drawbacks. He's a little bit slower than your prototypical defensive end, but he's a guy who's great in the rushing game, and I think he's an underrated pass rusher. I think when you look at him, I really like his hands. His twitch at the line of scrimmage in terms of getting off the line can be a little bit better, but with a guy who's so strong like he is, I think he makes up for it in a lot of sense. So to me, I think Espana overall going to Seattle, a team who's edge rush needy, this may be, again, some people would say this is a reach pick, but I think for Seattle's sake, you take a guy who's a cerebral defensive end, he understands the game very well, and he has a lot of strength and pretty good twitch for a big guy, I think he makes a lot of sense for Seattle. Yes, okay, he's not 
the rawest athlete on the defensive line that you could see, like Chase on from the, I have the Cowboys taking. But overall, he's a very crisp and clean prospect. I think he's a guy Seattle would like to have. He's never going to be a player, I think, in my mind, who puts up those 13, 14 sack seasons. But I think he's a guy who could probably provide a nice 9 to 10 each year with consistency. And I think that's something Seattle desperately needs, considering, like I said, they don't have Jadavion Van Clowney. They brought back Bruce Irvin, but he's a shell of his former self, in my opinion, with his way his career gone is over the last three years. So for me, Espana, the defensive end from Iowa, it makes a lot of sense. If I'm Seattle, I'm locking it in. I'm taking him. Now, moving on to the 28th overall pick, we have the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens, I think, would have liked to have grabbed the linebacker like Kenneth Murray, but so fortunate for the Ravens that there's just as good and athletic of a linebacker that's going to be available at 28. As a Bengals fan, that pisses me off beyond belief. At 28, I have the Baltimore Ravens taking a player who I dear, love. Just I absolutely love this guy. I have them taking Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. Now, I've probably been high on Queen since about, I mean, that sounds bad, but not in the way that you're thinking. I've been high on Patrick Queen probably since week four of this season. The dude flies around like crazy. He might be at the linebacker position almost in my mind as athletic as Isaiah Simmons. Yeah, people will probably call me crazy and an idiot, but look, the ability for Patrick Queen to recognize plays and pass coverage is unbelievable. He's a freaking beast in terms of the run game too. Watching him against Clemson, he shut down a lot of plays going up the A-gap. I absolutely love to see that out of a linebacker. But the biggest thing I look at with Queen is just his overall athleticism. I think he's a lot like Devin White, the, the linebacker that came out of LSU last year that went fifth overall to Tampa Bay. I see a lot of similarities in their game. I love the athleticism. I love his ability to trust the eyes. eyes. And overall, I think when I look at Patrick Queen, I think the Baltimore Ravens, sadly, this breaks my heart because I really, in some ways, wanted to be selfish and say, no, Patrick Queen would fall to the second round so Cincinnati could take him. That's not going to happen. I have Patrick Queen going 28 to the Baltimore Ravens. I think he makes way too much sense. He's going to be another athletic freak for the Ravens to have in their linebacking core and just another great player overall for that roster. And I know if he's there, the Ravens won't leave him there. Ozzie Newsome and that whole general managing staff is far too competent and way too good at drafting every year to let a guy like Patrick Queen slip through their fingers. So 28, we have probably, in my opinion, the second most athletic linebacker off the board going to the Baltimore Ravens. All right, now moving to number 29, we have the Tennessee Titans. Probably the most surprising team from last year, and they can credit that to Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill a lot. I just think when you look at that team, if you would have told me they would have gone to the AFC Championship game nine weeks into the season when they're barely above water, that whole game against Kansas City where they turn around and Tannehill throws a 30-yard touchdown to Adam Humphreys to win the game against Kansas City with 40 seconds left, that turned their whole season around. But Tennessee, by far the most surprising team, but I think they project well over the next two years. I believe Tannehill had a small renaissance of himself last year. Wouldn't have paid him so much money, but I guess it's why I'm not a general manager and I'm doing a podcast in my own bedroom here at home in San Diego. But that's not the point. For them, I have them addressing the secondary. I have them taking AJ Tyrell, the corner out of Clemson. Now, look, when I look at the Titans, okay, yes, they had some decent players in Logan Ryan and Malcolm Butler manning down their corners, 
but I definitely think they could shed Malcolm Butler's cap space. They don't need to be paying as much as he is, considering the fact that the last two seasons he's failed to put up more than three interceptions. I like him as a player, but I think Tyrell would certainly be an upgrade. Tyrell's a very smart corner. He's great at play recognition when it comes to recognizing the routes the guys are running. His interceptions, again, kind of like these number one corners, a lot of times are in college football. Their numbers just aren't really high in the interception total just because guys get afraid to throw at them. I think Tyrell is one of those cases. I wouldn't go off his measurements in terms of how he produced interceptions. His pass breakups were strong. He's a stout tackler. And the thing I like most about him is he's a very, like I've said, he's a very intelligent corner. This is a guy who started three years at Clemson. It's not an easy feat to do. He played incredibly well, not only through the college football playoffs. I mean, yeah, he had his troubles against LSU, but who the hell didn't last year? That was the greatest college football team ever assembled in my mind in LSU last season. So I'll give a Tyrell a pass for that championship game performance against guys like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. But Tyrell, I think, is a perfect fit into that Titans defense. I think he can slot in probably for his first year at the third cornerback position, but I fully expect him to take over the one or two spot within the next one or two years. I think he's the perfect guy for Tennessee to take. I like his hands. I like his eyes. I like his overall intelligence and ability to recognize routes when you watch him. I think for a lot of reasons, A.J. Tyrell makes a lot of sense here at number 29 for the Tennessee Titans. Now moving to number 30, we have the Green Bay Packers. Oh, Green Bay. Oh, Green Bay. This, again, Green Bay, if you don't take a wide receiver here for Aaron Rodgers, you know what? You might as well pack it in. You might as well pack it in. If you have the audacity, and I mean the audacity, to take Jordan Love at number 30, if I am Aaron Rodgers, I am I'm never coming back to Green Bay. We're talking about a team that has not addressed the wide receiver position in the first round during the entire tenure of Aaron Rodgers. Yes, that's not a typo that I'm reading. That's not some sort of crazy stat that I'm just pulling out of my freaking butt. It's true. The Green Bay Packers have been blessed with the best quarterback of this generation, and they have given him no first-round talent. Granted, they found value with guys like Devontae Adams, but they haven't given him a wide receiver in the first round. So Green Bay, if you think about taking Jordan Love here, you are idiots. Matt LaFleur, if you think about doing that, you are an idiot. Please do not do it. I like Green Bay as a city. I've been there a couple times. I'm a fan. Green Bay, if you are smart, you will take the wide receiver Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. This is a simple pick. Do not mess this up. He is a great high point ball catcher. He's a very good athlete. He ran a 4-4-3 at the NFL Combine. He's a just... He's a great route runner. This is a guy that you give Aaron Rodgers and probably is a 1,000-yard receiver in his first year. There's not a lot of questions in my mind. Yes, overall, he's a little bit thinner. He needs to fill out a little bit more. At times, he did get a little bit chest-catchy with it, and what I mean by that is he doesn't like to use his hands all the time. That's fine. You can learn from that. But listen, this overall, to me, makes way too much sense. For all rights, you can make the argument that AU should be gone in the 20s and not be falling here to 30. Green Bay, do not, and this is the last time I'll say this, Green Bay Packers, do not take Jordan Love. For the love of God, do not do it. I'm not even a Packers fan. This would just be a waste. You have the greatest quarterback at your position, of this, the greatest quarterback of this decade, and before that, you have Aaron Rodgers. If you take anyone but a wide receiver, you're idiots. 
So please don't. I don't want to have to make another one of these in a couple weeks where I sit there and laugh at your face. I have Packers friends. I don't want to see them sad. This isn't what I want. Take Brandon Ayuk, the wide receiver. You'll be so happy that you did. You'll be blessing Aaron Rodgers with an athletic tool wide receiver with good hands, good route running ability, and high athleticism. That's all Aaron wants. It's all he asks. All he wants that is his Malibu home, Danica Patrick, and a couple wide receivers to throw to, and you got him in another NFC title game. Don't make the mistake of taking Jordan Love. Take a wide receiver, please. Now, after that, we have the 31st overall pick. We have, or I should say, I have the San Francisco 49ers taking Trayvon Diggs. Yes, the brother of Stephon Diggs, who, but he just plays a corner position out of Alabama. I am going number 31. If you watched the Super Bowl last year, you will notice that the 49ers had a good starter in Richard Sherman, but their number two and three corners seriously lacked. You could see them get exposed by Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill when they were on mismatches. That's why you need, if you were the 49ers, to address the corner position, and you need to take a guy here and Trayvon Diggs. I like, Diggs is just, I mean, look, if you're going to take a corner out of Alabama, it's kind of hit or miss, but look, I like Diggs. I, I think he has good ball skills. I think he plays with good recognition. He trusts his eyes in the defensive backfield. At times, my, when I watch him a little bit on tape, he gets caught looking into the backfield a little bit too much. That's fine. That's something you can fix. Um, another issue, again, with Alabama, I don't know why Alabama does this. They don't always teach their corners how to backpedal. They kind of just have them play off coverage. That's not great. I don't love that. But Diggs has too many positives in terms of his play recognition, his route tree recognition, his ability. Has He has a nose for the football a little bit. He has strong pass breakups, and he's good in the run game. To me, Diggs' number of positive outweighs the number of negatives, and he fills a position that I think San Francisco desperately needs with the corner. So for me, it makes the most sense for the 49ers to address that with Trevon Diggs, the corner from Alabama, at the 31st overall pick. Now, final pick of the draft, people. Been working hard for this. This is oh, a lot of hours put in. And I mean a lot of hours put in doing player evaluations, trying to find the right mock where I think all these players fit in and really all these teams are happy and their fans are happy with who they're getting. Now, with the Kansas City Chiefs, I was tempted to give him a corner here, but then I thought about who's coaching their football team and who's playing offense for that football team and what they proved last year. And if you bothered to watch any Kansas City Chief football games, you would notice that they adopted the idea and possibly were the first team ever to prove that we will score more points than you and there's nothing you can simply do about it. And because of that very reason, I think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be arrogant enough to take Clyde Edwards-Elaire, the running back out of LSU. Now, I could be wrong on this, folks, and I could see Andy Reid sitting there and saying, hey, you know what? We didn't stop a nosebleed last year on defense. Maybe we should help out our secondary. Yes, Tyron Matthew was good, but he's only one player back there. Maybe we should take a guy like Jalen Johnson, the corner from Auburn. But that's not how Andy Reid thinks. I don't think it's ever how he's thought. He's always been a guy who's kind of like the Mike D'Antonio football, where it's double the offense, half the defense. So again, I'll, I, I reiterate, I think the pick here is Clyde Edwards-Elair. Yes, he's 5'7", but this dude is a bowling ball who happens to run a 4'5", and can catch the ball out of the backfield. Now, when you turn on the game tape, you notice, okay, yes, he's small, 
but he's like a brick house, and he's got the agility of some of the best backs that there are out there. I mean, the spin moves he puts on teams when you turn on the tape against Texas A&M, when you turn on the tape against Alabama, and when you turn the tape on against Clemson, probably some of the better defenses he plays, this guy tore him up. He was making guys miss in small spaces, and that's what you love to see, and he's such a small size. Yes, okay, he may struggle in the pass rush because, you know, in terms of blocking, but look, when I look at Edwards Elayer, he makes a lot of sense for Kansas City. Yes, they have Damian Williams in the backfield, but you don't know how much more you're going to get out of him. So to me, you take a guy like Edwards Elayer, who's from a blue chip program, came on a lot last year, catches the ball out of the backfield very well, makes guys miss in a small space, but also is a powerhouse back in the way that he runs with the physicality that he possesses. To me, this almost seems like the perfect pick for Kansas City. You shouldn't, if you're Kansas City, this is the player you take. And I think if you're the rest of the NFL, you're, you should be so scared of that. Because now you're going to have Patrick Mahomes, a quarterback, who, in my opinion, is becoming or could become the Michael Jordan of the NFL. I mean, there's not a thing that can stop Patrick Mahomes. He's possibly had the greatest two-year stretch that any quarterback has had in a very long time, and I only see it getting better. He has wide receiver weapons like Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, and he has a strong offensive line. And if you give the, if you're the, if you give him Clyde edwards Elaire, I don't think there's any way to stop the Kansas City Chief offense. That team, if they pick edwards Elaire, will probably average 30 points a game because you won't stop them on the ground. You certainly won't stop them through the air. What you'd have to do is just pray. Pray to God that somehow that that team stops scoring points on you because there won't be a team to outscore them. It's just a simple fact. And knowing just how much Andy Reid loves his offense, and that's all he cares about. It's been like that since his days in Philly. That I truly think with the 32nd and final pick of the first round of the 2020 NFL Draft, the Kansas City Chiefs will go out and draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the running back from LSU. I'm almost in disbelief saying it myself, but it makes too much sense. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's not even really that much of a need, but I feel like they're going to do it. I just truly do. It just it makes too much sense. This I, it's, I can't say it enough, folks. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire will be achieved by the end of April 23rd. Everyone will sit there in the NFL as defensive coordinators wonder and lose sleep for the next, oh, seven to eight months wondering how we are going to stop this offensive juggernaut. And yeah, they won't. And with that, that's the conclusion of my first round of this NFL mock draft. I want to thank any of all those who have listened to me ramble through this time. I know I'm sure some of you... We're probably criticizing what I had to say, but overall, I feel very confident in this mock draft. I would be disappointed if I got less than 25% of these picks right. I feel very confident overall. And look, when tomorrow rolls around, I really hope that everyone enjoys the draft. I really hope that everyone takes time to realize that we have a small piece of the NFL back. We have the small world of sports back. So sit back by yourself in quarantine. Don't go out and watch it with your friends. Don't be an idiot. Enjoy the draft. Root for your team. And hope for the best. These are my picks 1 through 32. You've been listening to the RPO. I'm more than likely going to make some more of these after this. I like this. I'm a big fan of making these podcasts. It brings me a lot of joy. 
And I'll tell you what, I'll be the first one to tell you right now before I sign off, I'm going to smoke Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay tomorrow. I will smoke those clowns in this mock draft. I do it every year. People sleep on it. I own those guys. I wake up and I breathe better analysts. Maybe not as better analysts because they do this for their whole living. I'm still doing college school work, so obviously things get in the way. But I smoke those fools. And I'm going to do it again tomorrow. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Mark my words, people. All right. Can't wait for this draft. Thanks for listening to the RPO. Clark Farrell signing off. Let's go, baby. Let's go.